The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, for those of you who have been missing one of my rants, (laughs) um, today's your day. Because um, I am going to be ranting about some of the headlines in the news, the madness. This is everything you wanted to know about mad men and mad women, but were afraid to ask. And in particular, I'm going to be talking about the two um, recent uh, crimes in the news, the two 12-year-old girls who are currently charged with homicide of their friend, get that, friend, who they attempted to kill in Wisconsin, and the um, young man, Elliot Roger, who uh, did kill um, six people and injured others in um, an area near Santa Barbara. Now, what, and he was 22, uh, what um, do you think these people had in common. <laughs> it's a lot of what a lot of people that we read about in the news or hear about in the news have in common. And it's, it's really been um, something that I've been talking about for quite a while, and it's become, it should, have be, it should be becoming a lot more obvious to everyone, and people should be doing something about it, which is why I thought I would talk about it today. In the, now, we don't know very much about the two girls uh, in Wisconsin as far as their family history, but I can um, tell you <laughs> that it's not going to be pretty when we do find out more. Um, just like with uh, Elliot Roger, you know, parents um, and family members are, are always so shocked uh, I mean, even though they may have suspected, as Elliot Rogers' parents apparently did, but not suspected enough um, that he had problems, um, these, and I don't know whether the girls, apparently the girls in, uh, the families of the girls in Wisconsin, um, you know, are asking themselves now, what did they miss? Did they, did they miss something? <laughs> well, the short answer is yes. Um, 12-year-old girls do not decide to kill their friend, stabbing her 19 times um, out of the clear blue sky. And in fact, they admit that they had been planning this for about six months. So I can tell you that in those six months, um, there were signs, if not before, and, and really I'm sure there were other signs leading up to this. Um, it may uh, the, the girls in Wisconsin... 
Um, I think, well, both of them. Let, let me tell you about some of the things in common, and then I'll talk about each of these cases in, in particular, specifically. But, you know, we are seeing more and more of these cases, whether it's uh, James Holmes, who shot up the movie theater, um, or whether it's Adam Lanza, who shot up Sandy Hook Elementary School. I mean, these kinds of stories are becoming, if not routine, then certainly more common. And yet everyone is left scratching their head. Oh, I, I, he's, he was such a nice boy, or they were such nice girls. Um, how did something like this happen? Huh. <laughs> and you know, huh, is not cutting it anymore. It is the fault of the parents in a lot of these cases, um, to my surprise, I remember when, when, the, when the Elliot Roger um, shooting spree made news, um, I tweeted something about, you know, have, well, they should have brought him to a psychiatrist. Well, as it turns out, they brought him to therapists. I don't know that they brought him to a psychiatrist, um, but... That has, is becoming more common, um, that in fact some of these people have had brushes at least with the mental health system and were still not stopped in their tracks. So I want to talk about this, some of the things that these kinds of cases have in common. Starting out with, um, yes, they, each of these um, people who uh, become perpetrators of these violent sprees or, or doesn't, you know, sprees or individual killings or individual attempted killings, yes, they have some kind of psychological problem to start off with. Not all of which, however, are what is typically thought of as mental illness. You know, when you say mental illness, um, it really mostly means uh, a psychosis, schizophrenia or manic depressive illness. And I don't know that, I mean, I don't think that, um, certainly all of these cases cannot be blamed on severe mental illnesses like that. And in fact, even people who have uh, schizophrenia or manic depressive illness, the majority of them do not become killers. However, when you have some kind of either serious mental illness or even not so serious, like a personality disorder or, um, or, or autism or Asperger's or, you know, some kind of um, psychological problems, they don't become killers unless they are subjected to serious traumas as children. In other words, they don't wake up one day and start shooting people or stabbing people. Um, there has to be some kind of, and most people, even with the serious illnesses of schizophrenia or manic depressive illness, um, go on to live lives without being violent. And it really disturbs me when um, the media picks up on these things and says that, uh, you know, these are people with mental illness, which implies uh, psychosis, because it takes away from the um, finding out and talking about and looking at the kinds of traumas that these people experienced when they were growing up. They didn't, they, when they were born, they didn't start out as killers, regardless of whether they, you know, might have some kind of genetic predisposition to a mental illness. They do not become, they're not born with a killer marked across their forehead. They are made, and they are primarily made by parents who um, are abusive, 
sexually, physically, emotionally uh, abusive, and or neglectful. There are four kinds of abuse, sexual, physical, emotional, and abuse by neglect. And each of these cases, in each of these cases where people go on to become criminals, killers, violent, um, they start off with, in most of these cases, if not all, uh, certainly by neglect, because that sort of goes without saying, because if the parents weren't neglecting them, they would have stopped them because, before they became violent. So there's that. Psychological problems, problems in childhood caused by parents who abused or neglected them. And then in so many, if it is becoming clearer and clearer that divorce, particularly, I mean, Elliot, uh, apparently uh, in his manifesto, he talks about his parents' divorce. Um, now, I don't know whether the girls in Wisconsin, whether their parents are divorced or whether they have come from intact families. We so far don't have that information. Uh, but... Um, but I, I can tell you that there is certainly something going, that the families are certainly dysfunctional. And, um, you know, we, we um, p- parents don't realize just how traumatic it is for their children when they get divorced. You know, we've, we've had this culture for so long where um, society seems to approve of divorce that, oh, if you're not happy... <laughs> If you're not happy, then just get a divorce. It's better for the kids if you get divorced because they don't live in an unhappy household. Well, really, no, it's not better. Um, it is better if the parents get treatment, psychiatric treatment, couples counseling, individual counseling, whatever it is that they need to try to stay together. Now, are there situations where divorce is actually um, the best choice? Yes. You know, if somebody is, if one of the partners, one of the the, the husband or the wife, um, has a severe addiction and keeps refusing to get help uh, after many chances, you know, that's one reason. Or if one of the spouse spouses um, is a serial cheater and refuses to get help, whatever the thing is that the the a spouse is doing and that's serious and where they refuse to get help. Um, after years of trying to engage them in help, then yes, you know, could is a is an um, a, a parent who is a a severe alcoholic, uh, where that is impacting upon the child, um, and again they're refusing to get help. Is that something that you know should be resolved in a sense by divorce? Yes, that at some point that does seem to be sort of the only option or the best option. But in most cases where people are just not happy, (laughs) um, that, you know, they need to realize what impact this is going to have on children. And Elliot Rogers is a great example. Um, uh, Other things that these people have in common um, is that violent media um, Elliot um, apparently was obsessed with violent video games, uh, notably World of Warcraft. We know Adam Lanza was obsessed with violent video games. You can look at pretty much any, uh, anyone who's made the news headlines for some kind of a killing spree, and behind them is an obsession with video games. 
Now, interestingly, the two 12-year-old girls who um, tried to kill their friend, uh, stabbed her 19 times, they were obsessed with a character on a website, a horror website, called Slenderman. Now, um, and this character, it's, well, I'll, I'll get into that um, more as I talk more specifically about that case. But there is always uh, some kind of obsession with some kind of media character. Most of the time, some kind of violent video games, but it can be another another character, copycat kind of crime. Um, for example, with these two 12-year-olds, uh, for those of you who heard the show that I did on Skylar Meese, there you, and for those of you who didn't hear that, um, after this show, you may want to go back into the archives and look, at, look for the show that I did about Skylar Meese. Skylar was a teenager who was killed by her two so-called friends, um, stabbed, in fact, to death. Uh, in that case, and that made headlines, um, still making headlines, because the trial of the two uh, girlfriends has been going on. So, um, you know, one of the things to to find out about the 12-year-olds in Wisconsin is whether they were aware of um, Skylar Meese and her killing, and I would not be surprised if at least one of them was aware of that, and, and that copycat crime came into play uh, to some degree. Um, There's also bullying or feeling like an outcast. That certainly came into play with Elliot Roger, and um, it may well probably came into play with the two girls uh, in Wisconsin because um, because there's, you know, this anger, the killing... (laughs) There's a rage that all of these killers are expressing, of course. Anyone, any killer does. And so um, the, the question is to look for this, where this rage came from. You know, obviously abuse or ne- and or neglect from parents and also bullying is another source. Um, feeling like an outcast, being angry at those friends. And then, of course, the last aspect of it, is the incompetent psychiatrist or other mental health professional who didn't do what they should have done to stop the crime from happening because they certainly should have should not have missed uh, signs that were obvious. Well, we're going to continue with this when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Putting uh, today's headlines on the couch, notably the girls in uh, Wisconsin who are charged as adults with stabbing their so-called friend um, 19 times and almost killing her. Um, they're charged with attempted murder. And um, the, the girl, uh, unbelievably, um, was able to crawl away and was from the woods where she was, where they ultimately brought her, and um, she was discovered by somebody riding a bike in that area. Which, when I read about that, um, it was clear to me that the one or both of the girls uh, have some sort of mental illness, Um, and I'm talking about a psychotic mental illness, (coughs) because because um, if because obviously it didn't make any sense for them to to let this girl um, to, to not finish the job when she would have been able to identify them. So it, you know, um, they got caught up in the um, in the frenzy of it all, but then didn't didn't finish the job, didn't stop to think. Um, now, you know, of course, <laughs> they may say, may wind up saying that they purposely stopped. But um, but in most cases, um, someone in that kind of situation would would finish the job because they um, because they wouldn't want to get caught, and so uh, and also these girls have been very very cooperative um, with police. And yes, it is true that they may I mean they were ambivalent to begin with, so it may well be true that at some point they kind of woke up and um, realized what they were doing, flashed back to reality, snapped back to reality, and, um, and, and, and stopped. Because, um, you know, there's, it's an interesting um, description of what actually happened. But um, let me, um, the, the, the motivation, or this all started actually, with one of the girls um, having become familiar with a website that um, has on it horror stories. Um, and one of the most popular horror stories is a story about Slender Man. Now, there, is, um, there are apparently, <laughs> there are adults who, it's an urban legend that was started in around 2009, and there are apparently some adults who would claim that they don't have any mental illness who actually believe in Slenderman. Um, I started looking at the website, and, um, yeah, it's interesting that the website, the website itself says, and they haven't taken it off despite this current stabbing, um, it says Slenderman is real on the website. 
So, you know, the idea of people getting engrossed in the website and engrossed in all the stories about Slender Man um, and believing that it's real, especially if you're 12 years old and have psychological problems and are being neglected by your parents, (laughs) um, you know, you're more vulnerable to that kind of thing. And the gist of it is that Slender Man um, wants people, in order to become his proxy, um, to be favored by, you know, to be like a favorite child of Slender Man, um, you need to kill somebody because that's what Slender Man does. Um, or he actually, he has uh, killers or a killer and then underneath that is a proxy. I, I can't, I'm not going to pretend to know... <laughs> To know the whole, uh, all the details of the, I did read a Slender Man story or two, but, um, you know, there are many more stories, and, um, uh, apparently, you know, the gist of it is that he, that he, uh, well, there are some people, in t- there are actually different interpretations, but, but, uh, according to some, he is, uh, death personified and wants to kill other people. So if you become his proxy by killing somebody, you become a favorite of his. And the, the, um, these girls, the two 12-year-olds, um, Morgan and Anissa, um, were, uh, were planning on killing their friend and then going to the place where Slender Man has been. Um, supposedly he has like a castle or a, or a, um, um, a mansion in the Nicolet National Forest in Wisconsin. So I don't, the plan was to kill the victim and walk to Slender's mansion and become one of his proxies. Now, for someone, for a 12-year-old girl to think, well, first of all, to you know, believe that this is true, and then to, to actually go as far as killing someone to become one of his proxies, to become essentially adopted by Slenderman, to live in his mansion... Um, you know, what is that? That's like the um, uh, fantasy of uh, a 12-year-old girl who wants a rich daddy to take care of her and love her, who obviously doesn't have a rich daddy who is giving her enough love. I mean, the idea of wanting to be loved, appreciated, um, taken care of by... Um, a character like Slenderman, who in these stories seems like he's dangerous, um, what does that tell you about what kind of father or father figure they have in their lives? Obviously one who is not providing that love, and in fact, one who may be abusive, and therefore um, Slenderman, the sort of the king of all, you know, the most powerful man of all in a way, um, would be, would seem like a, um, a, a, a place to, to go to to be safe in an odd, paradoxical kind of way. Um, so, yes, you know, I, I mean, I think that there will, that there should be um, some, I think that these, these girls obviously need to be uh, examined by a psychiatrist, and I think that there will be um, uh, uh, or would be enough um, reason to um, at least mitigate their charges, if not to, um, you know, by reason of insanity, get them to uh, escape the charge of first-degree murder. Um, 
because because I think there will be some severe mental illness um, for all of this to have happened. Now, what's interesting is that, um, well, it's all interesting, <laughs> uh, and it's all very sad, but um, what they were, they were originally planning, they invited their friend, the girl who they were going to kill, uh, to have a sleepover at one of their houses. This was on Friday night. And they wanted to duct tape her mouth while she was sleeping and then to stab her in the neck and put covers over her to make her look like she was sleeping and then run away to Slender Man's mansion. Now, of course, the fact that they plotted this for six months or so is not going to be, um, you know, that's not going to work in their favor in terms of their trial because it wasn't like a sudden crime of passion. So anyhow, when the friend was sleeping over, for whatever reason, they backed out of the plan. They decided instead to kill her on Saturday in a nearby park bathroom so that blood would go down the drain. Now that also kind of speaks to having thought something out to some degree. Uh, They got the girl to go to the park with them. They got her into the bathroom, and one of the girls handed the knife to the other girl but she couldn't uh, bring herself to do it, so she handed the knife back to the first girl, and she couldn't go through with it either. But somehow or other, one of them um, pushed the victim down and sat on her, pushed the other girl down, and then the 12-year-olds gave the knife to each other back and forth for 19 times until... um, they, they, one of them started the stabbing. I mean, they handed it, the knife to each other several times, and then finally one of them started, and they wound up um, stabbing her 19 times. So there was some degree of hesitation, you know, and, um, and perhaps, in fact, um, that could explain, I mean, I would like it to be the reason for why they didn't finish the job rather than it just being, you know, that their mental illness that took over. And Now, uh, we still don't know a lot of the story. Um, uh, and, and, you know, the girls, it's interesting. Well, I mean, we do know that the way that the girls got caught is because the, the, the victim, um, after she was found, she did tell the police the name of one of the girls who attacked her. So that's how they found out who the girls were. Um, and one of these, one of the attackers said that she was sorry and what she did was probably wrong. So, hmm, and one wonders whether she said that before she was uh, provided with a lawyer or uh, not. Um, so the lawyers are trying to move the case to juvenile court. Um, and so far they had asked the, the judge to move the, one of the lawyers asked to move one of the girls to a psychiatric facility, and so far the judge has, has said no, and I think that that's very unfair. Um, I, you know, I, I do certainly think that it merits um, bringing her to a psychiatric facility and to having a full-blown psychiatric examination. Um, so, so, you know, apparently there's, um, there is a pastor or some kind of... Um, uh, uh, there are people who are try- who are who are um, perpetrating this myth, this urban legend, um, telling people that Slender Man is real, which of course is very unfortunate. But um, but you know, it, it the bottom line is that what kind what kinds of parents could be 
kept in the dark. Here these, these two girls are plotting this for approximately six months, and the parents have no clue that something sinister, that the, well, that the girls are angry, that the girls are sad, that the girls are troubled. I mean, that is just not possible. If the girls were troubled to that extent that they could be plotting this kind of crime and believing in Slenderman and planning to go to his mansion in the woods, there are other signs, I can promise you, that there is something wrong with these two girls. And the parents should have acted on it and gotten them help way before this happened. Well, we need to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. So please stay tuned. We're going to go now to the story of Elliot Roger. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you about the headlines, putting the headlines on my couch, uh, telling you everything you wanted to know about mad men and mad women but were afraid to ask. Well, we were just talking about mad women, or at least mad girls. You know, that's the other... um, I mean, the news just gets more outrageous every day. Um, So much craziness in the news, so little time. Um, But the fact that these kinds of incredibly violent crimes are being done at the hands of younger and younger people and girls, it's not just limited to boys (laughs) or men, it's now young girls you know, it used to be that it would be men, and then, then you know, it went down to young boys, then it went to girls and young girls. I mean, it's just, um, it's just, you know, what is this world coming to? It's just really, um, something has to be done, is, is really what I'm trying to get to here. You know, what I was saying at the beginning, um, and, and at some level, the parents' level, um, the school level, uh, and the and the mental health level, um, something has to be done. So let's talk about uh, Elliot Roger. Elliot Roger, um, you know, many of you know that my first book was called, which is going to be coming out again, by the way, is um, was called Bad Boys: Why We Love Them, How to Live with Them, and When to Leave Them. 
And, um, you know, so the gist of it was bad, bad, I mean, good, <laughs> nice guys finish last. And if anyone, um, well, <laughs> if anyone wanted to try to uh, get revenge for that, <laughs> it was Elliot Roger. Um, he bought into the Barbie myth. <laughs> Talk about myth. The Barbie stereotype. Uh, unfortunately, it's not just, you don't have to be crazy to, to buy into the uh, Barbie stereotype. Unfortunately, that's, um, you know, that's uh, the problem with um, a lot of guys and who think that unless they have a Barbie on their arm, other men will not respect them as men, won't think that they are big men or um, studs. And this is what was going through Elliot Rogers' mind um, when he tried to kill the blonde co-eds at uh, UC Santa Barbara. Not just tried, (laughs) he was successful. Um, his, but his trouble started before he could think about Barbie and and getting um, a blonde girl as a girlfriend. His his trouble started um, when he was a young boy. Um, he was almost eight when in 1999 when his parents got divorced. Remember, I talked at the beginning, and you'll see this. Um, all the way through and, and and next time you you know there's another similar kind of crime in the headlines I want you to remember that you heard it first here <laughs> um, the combination of psychological problems uh, dysfunctional family with abuse and or neglect um, divorce vi- an obsession with violent media being bullied and um, being seen media um, being seen by an incompetent mental health professional so when you have the perfect storm of those kinds of um, uh, issues, that is when it is more likely, most likely, to culminate in a crime, a shocking kind of crime. So Elliot Roger, um, his when his parents got divorced when he was seven, uh, and he talks about um, there's another time too, and I think that that might have been when he was six, six or eight. There was another situation where um, he went to an amusement park and he was short, um, and he was too short to get on a ride. And he, he cites that in his manifesto as his earliest or one of his earliest traumas. And, you know, it's not so much that he couldn't get on a particular ride, it's that that told him as a young boy to him, that's how he interpreted it. I mean, yes, you know, <laughs> not all boys who don't get on rides because they're too short are going to become mass killers. But that plus the dysfunction in his home, um, it was part of, you know, the, all of the things that happened in Elliot Rogers' life added up, one on top of the other. And, um, you know, it was interesting. He makes such a big deal about being short, but um, I, it, he turned out, it turns out that he was, um, I believe, five, yeah, five nine, so five feet, nine inches tall and 135 pounds. Now, you know, yes, five feet nine is not tall, but, um, but there are people five feet nine and shorter who, who don't wind up going on a killing spree and who manage to get, to fall in love, to have um, women fall in love with them and, um, and, and have a nice life. You know, it's not like he was a midget. Well, I should, even, even midgets we see on television 
fall in love and have nice lives. But it's not like he was, you know, like 5'2 or something for a guy. Okay, that makes it hard. Um, or 5'4", or, you know, it, a lot of it is the perception. And for him, so it, so it wasn't his actual height. It was the perception that he had about it. And yes, could that have been started off by, you know, this experience at the, at the um, amusement park where he wasn't good enough? You know, it would have been how he took it. He wasn't man enough. He wasn't boy enough to, to ride on these rides. Yes. Um, but... But that wouldn't have been enough to cause him years later to go on a killing spree. It was surely that his, his family, his parents, who got divorced when he was seven um, and certainly would have had um, problems in their marriage before then uh, that he would have, you know, suffered with. Um, but when, when they got divorced, that, that was traumatic in itself. And what was interesting was that his mother... Um, had, you know, when, when people get divorced, they will often have or should have um, a psychiatric evaluation, a custody evaluation. And, and if that custody evaluation, which, deter, you know, is supposed to determine which parent gets to have the child for more time, but if that custody evaluation determines that a child, um, uh, you know, has has some kind of psychological problems, that should become, well, not only should all children actually should be in therapy uh, during their parents' divorce, but if it is determined that a child has serious problems, they should continue in therapy even after the divorce is over. Um, and, and even children who, you know, even when it's not so serious, but the scars of divorce um, continue on. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, even children who um, whose only problem is their parents' divorce would be would benefit from uh, long-term therapy. I mean, longer term than just the immediate time of the divorce. So um, during Elliot's uh, parents' divorce, his mother had a therapist look at him, and um, he was described as a high-functioning autistic child. And she she filed all of this to get more child support and in order to care for him. Now, it is unclear at this point whether she got more child support, whether she did use it to get him treatment. You know, supposedly the parents um, um, got him treatment uh, from time to time along the way, although it really does seem as though it was catch-as-catch-can. I mean, very... Um, uh, very ineffective, obviously, and not really much of an effort made to find um, a great therapist and to have him continue in at least weekly. It sounded like he needed like three times a week psychotherapy um, and continue it on from at least, if he would have had that from age eight, ongoing uh, intensive psychotherapy, and um, it seems like he would have needed medication as well, this wouldn't have happened, bottom line. But um, apparently the, during this divorce, um, the, his father, the mother was Lee Chin, and the father is Peter Roger, and Peter Roger took him to um, a, a Beverly, it's, he's described as a Beverly Hills doctor um, who, who, ch- who challenged that diagnosis and said that it didn't include the possibility of depression or anxiety. I don't know whether that was a psychiatrist or just a general doctor, but 
in any case, this doctor said, it, it seems like it might have been just a, um, you know, an, an internist or a family doctor, but that doctor said that Elliot should be sent to a child psychiatrist for more examination and treatment. And it really um, is questionable how much of that they ever did. Um, you, pay, you know, people who were friends of the parents, and then, of course, the father got uh, remarried um, to, to an actress and um, who, um, who apparently uh, Elliot didn't like. And uh, he, they, the stepmother and his father had a child, had a son, and apparently Elliot's plans included killing the son, which is so typical, well, not typical that people, well, typical that, that, um, that children from a first marriage have fantasies of getting rid of a child from a second marriage. They're very jealous, you know, there's sibling rivalry, but when it's from a second marriage, it gets, it's much more powerful than just simply sibling rivalry, because, um, because there's a lot of anger. There's anger at the parents for getting divorced. There's anger at, this, at the father taking a new uh, wife, a new mother, and then it gets even more compounded by, their having, by the father and stepmother having a child of their own. So um, that stepbrother was very lucky <laughs> that Elliot didn't um, carry out that fantasy to get rid of him. So um, they knew that he was a lonely and introverted child. They supposedly, it's described as they're having ferried him from counselor or therapist, which is interesting because um, it doesn't say psychiatrist. It says counselor to therapist. Um, but then it says urged him to take antipsychotic medication and, and moved him from school to school. Okay, or obviously... You know, was he ever seen by a psychiatrist? Was it that these um, counselors, you know, everybody calls himself a counselor these days, a love, um, a life coach or a, you know, he needed a psychiatrist. He needed an MD psychiatrist. Um, these problems were much more serious than a counselor or therapist would have been able to handle, obviously. And it is not clear whether... Um, who urged him to take antipsychotic medication? And what is this? They urged him to take it. I mean, he should have been admitted to a psychiatric hospital where he was against his will at some point as these problems, you know, grew and, and they could tell that it was getting, they were in such denial. And they were just into their own lives. I mean, they were into uh, the father being a director and, and apparently um, not having, you know, being, it's been described as boom to bust. You know, his career was sometimes he was being paid well for his work and sometimes he didn't have work. And um, the, the mother was an actress and the stepmother was an actress, but not particularly... Uh, you know, not not particularly well paid, or maybe not even having work. Um, it's not clear whether the mother. I don't know. There were there are different descriptions of what she was. Whether she was a nurse or she played a nurse. But in any case, one thing that she was was not paying enough attention to her child. And um, and so there is no such thing as urging a child to take medication. If you need, a ch if a child needs medication. There are laws in place where if a person is a danger to themselves or a danger to others or gravely disabled, and he was obviously a danger to himself, and he did wind up shooting himself in the end, and a danger to others. And, um, and this certainly should have been, uh, his parents should have made sure that he was 
it's you know they they spoiled him they gave him things they gave him the designer clothes his mother gave him the black bmw that he wound up conducting his shooting spree from what does that tell you <laughs> a little hint at rage at his mother um could be <laughs> um you know whether he blames his mother for uh, for the divorce um, or what, but um, certainly that was a sign to her that he was angry. Um, and all these things, designer clothes and BMWs, do not take the place of psychotherapy, intensive psychotherapy, and medication and hospitalization. All right, uh, we need to take another break. <laughs> so many headlines, so little time. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting some of today's headlines on the couch, the 12-year-old girls, uh, two girls in Wisconsin who stabbed their friend almost to death. Um, and now I've been talking about Elliot Roger and and in and the commonalities between both of these cases and between and with so many of the cases in the news, um, particularly of of teenagers or young now twelve almost teenagers and um, young adults um, and even and older adults, um, the the commonalities that they have. So continuing with um, Elliot Roger. He, you know, people, friends and family members um, who saw him growing up at different parts, you know, um, of his life uh, noticed that there were problems and tried to tell his parents that he had problems. But, um, but as I was saying, his parents were in denial. His parents didn't do what they should have done to make sure he got into and stayed in um, sufficient psychiatric treatment. Um, he was described as emotionally troubled. He was in three different high schools, uh, at least three. Um, he, he claimed that he was bullied there. And, and yes, there was, you know, because of, I mean, children who, children who 
um, come from dysfunctional families and have incredible low self-esteem become the targets of bullies. And also, interestingly, it, the bullies um, come from similar backgrounds, and, and there are things that make someone become one or the other. Um, but continuing with Elliot, um, his, his, um, he, he was obsessed with worlds of Warcraft. Um, the more, you know, the more he was ignored by his parents, uh, just, you know, um, he was given things um, and, and not uh, given the love and attention that he needed and the psychiatric help that he needed, but instead they threw all kinds of, uh, they, they paid him off, <laughs> basically. Um, and and he, um, his father was, was, worked on commercials and he, was, um, he spent some time directing extra shots for the Hunger Games his stepmother, Sumeya Akabun, however you pronounce that, is an actress who uh, is a so-called actress who last year had a small role in Lovelace, which was an independent film. Um, and his mother, I think actually she was a nurse, not an actress, his biological mother, Lee Chin, um, because she's described as being a unit nurse on the 1989 film Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, so, you know, uh, Elliot got to go to all these different red carpet premieres because of his, his parents and his stepmother and so on. And he wrote in his manifesto that his mother was a friend of Steven Spielberg's and even dated George Lucas. And, of course, <laughs> Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have so far uh, had no comment. Um, but apparently after 9-11, uh, his father's career directing commercials went down the tubes. And that was part of the problem, you know, part of um, going from from having money to not having money and, you know, and back again. Um, but, um, you know, he, he wrote in his uh, manifesto, Elliot wrote, if only my failure of a father had made better decisions with his directing career instead of wasting money on that stupid documentary, um, you know, then things would have been better. But um, he... He had all these fantasies of being, um, um, of winning the lottery, and um, and he describes uh, two incidents, at least two incidents, where he did, which were would have been, um, uh, which foretold of what he eventually did, if anyone would have been paying attention. Um, He talks about seeing two hot blonde girls waiting at a bus stop. And he smiled at them, and they ignored him. And um, he, he wrote, In a rage, I made a U-turn, pulled up to their bus stop, and splashed my Starbucks latte all over them. I felt a feeling of spiteful satisfaction as I saw it stain their jeans. So this was the beginning, you know, or, well, there might have been even things before that, but this was an example of something he did which... Um, continued to fuel what he ultimately did in terms of killing, shooting. Uh, He went from Starbucks latte to bullets. Then he also wrote about, um, in his manifesto, watching a flock of beautiful blonde girls playing kickball one day with fraternity jocks in in a public park. And he talks about how the sight so enraged him that he drove to a local Kmart and bought a water gun and filled it with orange juice 
And he uh, returned to the park and he wrote, I screamed at them with rage as I sprayed them with my super soaker. So then he went on, you know, and it's so amazing with all, with the manifesto and um, he, he took to the internet more and more to, um, he says, he stopped going to classes, you know, where he was in school in Santa Barbara um, and he got more into World of Warcraft, and he also um, got in, got more into writing on sites that that drew uh, what's described as sexually frustrated young men, um, including PUA Hate, which is an online forum. Uh, it's PUA Pickup Artists. Um, it, people rant against pickup artists who have more success with women. So he was ranting on that, and even on that, people eventually turned against him and he attacked him as being desperate, insecure, pretentious, entitled, bitter, and whiny. And that was the whole, that was like the key here. It's not so much that he was, he wasn't a bad-looking guy by any means, we can see in the video. And it was so interesting, that video that he directed, um, his ultimate video, where he's sitting in his BMW and you see the sunset and you see, um, you know, reflected in the car and you see the palm trees. And I think that that was a, um, definitely a, a meant to, um, be competitive with and be, you know, sort of laugh at his father, uh, the director, like to show that he could, you know, look at the videos that I'm directing, look at, look at what I can direct. And here it is, this, uh, this thing that tells of um, killing. Um, but anyhow, so he, he was not, so you can see in the video, he, he was not a bad-looking guy, and, um, and he had all these toys. And so it wasn't that that why girls didn't like him. It was obviously that they were able to see that underneath all of this, he was a very troubled, enraged guy. And that's why girls didn't want to go out with him. Um, on this website, um, he wrote, one of the people like, uh, wrote, called him an average-looking manlet. And then uh, Elliot wrote, I am a drop-dead, gorgeous, fabulous, stylish, exotic gem among thousands of rocks. Um, you know, I mean, obviously that was his defense. Like, he, he did feel like a, an average-looking manlet, if not worse. Um, so he and he had written a, he had done a video called Why Do Girls Hate Me So Much and he took that down. But then he um, he um, you know he, he, there was there was someone who had written uh, under that video. Um, the video had made him look like a serial killer. The person wrote, I'm not trying to be mean, but the creepy vibe that you give off in these videos is likely the major reason that you can't get girls. And that's true. And then his parents discovered the videos. But did they, you know, by the time they tried to do something, it was too late. And whoever the therapist was who wound up calling his mother um, to warn her should be sued. Um, for malpractice, because that therapist should have should have known before that day, that moment that she picked up the phone to call the mother, and should have hospitalized him way before that. So, um, so it is not just the fault of parents um, who are abusing and ignoring and so on their kids with problems. Yes, that's the number one line of defense. And parents, you need to be far more um, look far more carefully at your children. Um, 
and also to get them the help that they need. And then, of course, when, when kids are given help, when they are sent to a professional, you need to be careful that this is really a professional who knows what they're doing, um, who is trained, experienced, and so on. And it is better to be sending them to a psychiatrist, at least for an evaluation, um, before just being in denial and thinking that all they need is a little counseling. So that's uh, the end of my rant for today. Um, remember the things that I told you that were in common the next time you see a headline that is like this. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.